to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together, share dreams together, have adventures together, and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before we go any further, I have a question. Are there particular issues that lesbian couples struggle with more than straight and gay male couples do? And on the flip side, are there areas in which lesbian couples have it easier than straight and gay male couples do? In this episode of Women Wanting Women, I explore this with marriage and couples therapist Linda Spann, who is herself a lesbian, and she's the founder of the Lesbian Couples Institute based out of Denver, Colorado. Everything Linda talks about during this interview is really important, whether you're in a relationship or looking for one. So keep listening and take some notes. Linda, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. I'm excited to be here. I've really been looking forward to having this conversation with you. I'm so glad that we've gotten in touch. So before we get started, why don't you just introduce yourself, talk about how uh, the work that you do and, and how you got started. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I just go by Linda. My name's Linda Spann. Um, and I think relevant to this, I would share that about three years ago, I founded the Lesbian Couples Institute. And my work is really helping lesbian couples, queer women, um, find that balance in their relationship between, you know, having, having a really secure together relationship and at the same time, continuing to grow individually in terms of self-discovery and self-care and authenticity. Um, so I do a combination of, of couples therapy and also relationship coaching. I love all of that. Obviously, the Lesbians Couples Institute, it's an amazing name, and I want to know everything about what you guys do there. Um, but it's interesting that you talked about the balance between secure versus growth. I guess, because to some degree, growth then, how can I say, um, it, it somehow makes one insecure? Is it- Yeah, so so I think about the goal for relationships to be safe and secure, that the, the, the togetherness, the teamwork, the, um, the connection is super secure. And from that place, um, really then that becomes a springboard for each individual to keep discovering more about themselves individually and growing independently uh, in, in their own unique persona. Uh, so I, I think one of the things that sometimes lesbians as a group, sometimes we, we struggle with is uh, losing our individuality when we first get into relationships and then having a hard time getting back to that. Uh, so I, I 
think it's important to emphasize both sides of um, both sides of connection, which is healthy independence as well as strong strong togetherness and, and closeness. I think that really resonates, and it is a complaint I hear a lot among lesbians is that loss of identity, that feeling like I don't know what happened or I lost myself. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's in some way more unique, more of a struggle within the lesbian community than in the broader community of humans? I think it is a little bit more. I think the some research shows that lesbians tend to to merge a little bit harder and faster and and that it can be more difficult to to find find our edges to find our individualness um i think that probably as a group that that it, it's a it's a female thing you know we're socialized as as little girls and 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 growing into women to to be so focused on um on relationships and and putting energy into to relationships and closeness and feelings and emotions. Um, so I think when we get two women together, then that that whole thing gets amplified. Because it's our strength. Yeah. To the extent that, that females evolved to be, to excel at closeness and understanding feelings and emotions. Uh, whether that's evolution or cultural, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know either. Uh, we, we gather people and, and relationships and closeness. So maybe it is evolutionary. I think it's um, socialized as well. Probably a, a lot, a little bit of each. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's interesting. It's a female thing. It's a girl thing. And uh, you get two girls together and that all just gets amplified. You know, that's it's interesting because as, as someone who helps women dating, I definitely see ways in which when it comes to two females together, there is a difference from straight, heterosexual, cisgendered dating. So what are some things that you see then that are some other things? Is it just the tendency to merge faster and the loss of individuality? Or there's, are there some other unique ways or unique things that lesbians struggle with as couples? Well, I do think that there are there are unique differences. Some of them are struggles and some of them are strengths. Um, right, absolutely. Privileges, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, at a very simple level, in a lesbian relationship, we have two similar brains, two similar bodies, and, and two similar uh, sets of gender role socialization. And so with that comes some simplicity. We, we, we speak each other's language. We uh, understand one another's bodies in a very intimate way that, that I think uh, different sex people have to learn. Um, there's, there's so much more awareness of, of equality and Another interesting thing where that plays out is in day-to-day life. So uh, I think that that women in same-sex relationships have an easier time with you know things like let's figure out who who's going to do the ch- what chore and and what what's the division of labor in, in the household and who's going to do the the childcare. And so there's a lot more equality. It turns out in lesbian relationships on the home front, um, and we make those decisions based on 
what do we like to do? What are our strengths? Um, and, and we definitely, as a group, talk about those things more than I think uh, straight couples or different sex couples do. Uh, so that's a strength. Another strength that, that's uh, the Gottmans did some research on, on same-sex couples, and they found that same-sex couples use a lot more humor and affection when it comes to difficult conversations or, or you know, conversations that might lead into conflict. Um, we have a lot of power struggles. We have a lot less power struggles or more power struggles? No, le less. It, less power struggles in a same-sex relationship than in a... And that's something that the Gottman Institute researched? Yeah. That's so interesting. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I, I'm not, like, intimately familiar with the research. I've just read some of, you know, some of the articles that have come out of that. But um, the, the information is that same-sex couples handle disagreements better than different sex couples... Um, and part of that is because we're, you know, that, that power difference that comes through how boys and girls are socialized differently. Um, and you know, the whole privilege, male privilege shows up in relationships and, and straight relationships or different sex relationships. Um, so yeah, we, as a group, we tend to be have more equality, less power struggle, uh, we, a lot more levity, humor, affection, you know, when we're, when we're having those harder conversations. That's not to say that lesbians don't have some communication challenges. That's actually the number one issue that most of the couples I work with tell me their, their biggest issue is around communication. So it doesn't, it's not an automatic, uh, communication problem solver. That's so ironic because of the joke that lesbians say that we over communicate sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So that's really interesting. But I love some of these and, and totally do agree the simplicity, the understanding, the intimacy, and I love and the more affection. And then of course, uh, that's so interesting about more humor, fewer power struggles. Those are all really yummy things. Are there others that, that you didn't mention? Um, let me think. Well, this is like way, way out there for some people. But one interesting thing is that when lesbians have babies, it's always on purpose. Uh, you know, we, don't, we, we don't struggle with unplanned pregnancies uh, or unwanted pregnancies and sometimes our our heterosexual counterparts do and so when it comes to parenting there's there's sort of this ease around that too and, and there's a lot more equality in terms of the parenting um, and and interestingly children with same-sex parents end up having significantly more parenting time than children with a mommy and a daddy um, because in general, men spend less time with children. So that's all in the, in the good stuff bucket. I have a comment about the, the, the all babies are wanted, which I find fascinating, and you're totally right. There's so much planning that would have to go into it that these are babies that are super-duper wanted in the world. But I also think, and maybe I'm wrong, to the extent that lesbians experience divorce at higher 
at a higher rate than other demographics, which I've heard. I think that part of what's to blame is that women are socialized to want to be married and to want babies. And so when a man is in the relationship and is putting the brakes on those things a little bit more, what's put into the equation is some sort of friction on making it happen. Whereas when two women come together and both of them want the same thing, if they maybe aren't the ideal couple to have babies, there isn't someone in there saying maybe we shouldn't, maybe doesn't mean that the babies might still have a lot more parenting time because they're two mommies and that is actually great. But I do tend to worry sometimes if certain couples I've seen end up having babies together simply because both of the women want babies more than because these are two women that absolutely are an ideal match for each other. Yeah. And it's almost like enabling in some ways when two women get together as opposed to if there was if there were two men or a man in the relationship, there would be less enabling of that. Mm-hmm. Does that That's make sense? I haven't thought of that, but I think I think you're onto something. And, and I'm curious about you're right about that divorce statistic. Uh, what I don't know is if if there's um, data around if if women that have children still have the more a higher divorce rate than other families with children, or, or are they more likely to stay non, together? Non-children couples. Couples without children, that's a better way of saying it. I don't know. That... Right. Who who are the lesbian couples getting divorced? And does this higher divorce rate hold true for the mothers? Maybe lesbian mothers are way more likely to stay together because of their duty bound to their children. And who knows? I don't have that answer at all. But I would say it also applies just to lesbians getting married not just to the lesbians having kids the idea of get and I think that that does explain the higher divorce rate is the fact that women are we want to get married we're socialized you look at any commercial look at the wedding industry we're brainwashed to want to get married whether it's also genetic it could be as well but for sure the media and commercial interests push women to want that perfect wedding thing and when two women get together, it's very enabling because they both want the wedding. It doesn't, you don't know if you both want yeah. the wedding, you should want the wedding with each other and whether that's the smartest thing for their future happiness. Yeah. Um, but I do think that's contributing to a higher divorce rate. Yeah. Do you think so too? Has that, has that? I think so too. And I think, you know, a few years ago when it finally became legal, 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 I think a lot of people, a lot of women, it was a thing like we could finally get married without really thinking through, is this the right person to be married, you know, to marry? It was just like, woo, we can marry. Um, and, and I think a lot of people just jumped into that without the due diligence of thinking through, um, is, it, is this the right choice right now? That's interesting. So almost, almost the way there were, the baby boomers are called boomers because of the celebration of life after war, there was that boom in babies. Was there a boom in that initial period of marriages that led to extra divorces just because of the celebratory, oh my God, we finally have this right. I don't know. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. It's an interesting thought. Well, and I haven't read that anywhere. I just made that up in my own head, but I think I'm right. Yeah, it's really, it's interesting. And I'd be curious, I guess, to see 
whether there was a disproportionate number of marriages that happened in that initial period that didn't last that might have were simply formed out of celebration of the right. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's wrapping up some of the yummy stuff, and it's and obviously I love I love being a lesbian personally. So I'm very happy with my life, and uh, I wouldn't want it any other way. But um, I also understand that we have a bunch of extra challenges that straight people don't necessarily have. So what are some that you have come across counseling queer couples? Yeah. And and by the way, I love being a lesbian too. Um, And, uh, you know, I think as a group, we have the challenges because we live in this heteronormative world that that, uh, makes, has made some of us feel pretty uh, less than at times. Uh, Sometimes that comes into relationships and there's, uh, there, there can be differences around how out the two women are and um, discrepancies on, on the how, you know, come on the coming out um, question that can sometimes cause conflicts. Um, go, going back to some of the gender role socialization, you know, this idea that, that you know, as women were socialized to be the, the caregivers of of emotions and relationships and taking care of our person, um, that can come, that, that, that comes with a cost because it can be, it takes a lot of energy to be that tuned in to, to, to scanning what's my partner up to and how is she feeling and uh, taking the temperature of the relationship at all times. And so th- there's fatigue that sets in, uh, which can sometimes lead to, to extra stress, and, and disappointment in a relationship. Um, Sounds almost like resentment that you're describing. It, yeah, it can actually lead to some resentment. The other thing I think um, many women are, are brought up to, to be people pleasers, or, or at least somehow we take that on, right? We want to make sure everyone's okay. And um, people pleasing can have devastating consequences on relationships, pr- primarily in the as people pleasers, we sometimes end up going to, to a really far extreme as far as trying to avoid any kind of conflict or disagreement. Um, and so we, you know, out of this effort of wanting to keep our partner pleased and happy, we don't sometimes bring up things that are bothering us or that we want to see different for fear that she might not like that. Um, and, and another Another consequence of being people pleasers is that if we're not careful, we can end up in resentful compliance. So going along with complying with what I think is going to be pleasing, but eventually that just adds, creates a a resentment. Yeah. Any of that makes sense to you? It makes so much sense. It really does. Yeah, we're socialize with our friends to avoid conflict I never wanted girls when a girl group of girls gang up on you it's the worst thing ever and I learned as a little girl to avoid conflicts at all costs yeah but yeah of course the danger is that we that that intimacy comes from showing our full selves to our partners so if we're not bringing up what bothers us, we're also not showing who we are and avoiding conflict or avoiding those things. It's not showing our true selves and intimacy is way more beautiful and full on when, um, when we're bringing our full selves to it. And I don't want to be resentful of someone else. I don't want anyone to be resentful of me. I'd rather have 
them always have the person show me what they really want because, you know, to have later somebody be resentful, I, I think, uh, yeah. So that's an important thing to learn not to do. Yes. And those are all really interesting points that you're bringing up. So then, okay, how do you work with couples that when that comes up? Oh, it comes up a lot. Um, I, I really work at helping couples understand the, the devastation of, of continuing down that path of, of, of just trying to keep everything okay and, and make sure my partner's not unhappy with me. The, the, the cost of that is tremendous. I mean, it just leads to such stagnation over time. And as you said, the, the way to grow intimacy is by showing up with and speaking our truth and being vulnerable and um, having the courage to have a difference of opinion, for God's sake. And so just kind of educating about that, that uh, the, the way you grow a really thriving juicy alive relationship is is by doing the opposite of avoiding conflict and i'm not suggesting people should be fighting all the time or or having endless arguments i i think that we can learn how to have great great discussions without it ever becoming um a fight so i i i teach the couples i work with i teach them the skills for how how to to understand uh, when they're getting upset and dysregulated and going into kind of that fight or flight mode, um, which is not a good time to be having a, a big discussion, uh, what to do when that happens so they can stay connected. And um, and then when they're in the, you know, the good part of their brain, the, the, the um, not, not that the other part is bad, but the, the, the part of their brain where they can actually engage in uh, and, and good interaction where they can think and feel and tap into empathy, uh, then that, that's the place to have the difficult discussions. Okay, so let's walk through it then. So someone's having, a person's having a conversation with their partner and something's coming up where they're either avoiding conflict or they're in disagreement or they're getting dysregulated. Mm-hmm. Can, you walk through, can you walk through an example of what a person might do? Yeah, sure. So, um, as you know, our brains are are wired for survival, and in our survival, we're always we're scanning for threat. And sometimes, even with the person we love the most in the world, something can set off our our threat detectors. And and that that's you use the term dysregulated. So, uh, when we feel threatened, we go into this kind of dysregulated state, and and feel threatened, meaning what? Just like we're making, when you're talking about like always looking at the other person, is she mad? Are we cool? That's what you mean by threat, right? Like the so, threat. I mean, better. threat could be, um, you know, probably this wouldn't happen with, with anyone we know, but but if someone's about to raise their hand and, and give us a whack, that's a big, big threat. Oh, but yeah, but the is. kinds of threats most likely happen are things like, um, I, I might be talking to my partner and suddenly I think she's rolling her eyes at me, right? So uh, did you just roll your eyes at me? That can feel very threatening, like it's belittling. Um, uh, For some people, a raised voice feels threatening because when they were kids, the the adults around them, when they yelled, bad things happened. So sometimes a raised voice feels threatening. There's certain gestures or words or phrases that 
hit us as, oh gosh, what's about to happen here? And, and so things like that can feel threatening and send us into, into that fight or flight. And then if you react in a way that only makes your partner more annoyed, it escalates the situation and they do more of the thing and then you do more of the thing and next yeah. thing you know, the partnership is es- escalating happy. It's just cycle, yeah. So the best thing is to let your partner know when you when you feel any kind of threat when you've when you've left that zone where you can be calm and and have great conversation, um, and you might notice your your heart's beating faster or you're clenching your fists or your throat feels constricted. Those are some you know physiological signs that we've gone into fight or flight. When that happens, it's just really important to let your partner know. Yeah, I'm 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 not in the best part of my brain right now. I think I need a little break from this conversation, um, and then have an agreement that you'll come back to it when you're both chill. Yeah, and obviously the benefit of doing that is that the more you practice it, the better you get. And the thing to avoid is being the kind of people pleaser that doesn't have those conversations that it doesn't at least try, right? Yeah, that's right. Because yeah, we we don't want to get out of the zone where we can be calm. As you say, we want to be able to stay within the zone where we can be calm, but not if that means avoiding what needs to be communicated. Right. That's right. Um, so we were still on the topic then of certain challenges that come with being in a female same-sex relationship. Are there more other than, you know, beyond the caregiver, people-pleaser um, resentment that could come from that? Are there more in that list? You know, I think early on, we we have a tendency to 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 fall hard and fast, and uh, you know, there there's jokes that have emerged from that from that tendency, uh, the U-Haul joke and things like that. But um, with that, sometimes comes that merging that I referred to earlier, where we we just get so so globbed on together that we start losing. A, a bit of our individuality. And actually, it, it's an important first stage to a relationship. I, I don't want to paint it as a bad thing. Um, it, it's a love, you know, that falling in love stage is, ah, it's just wonderful. It's it's lovely. Uh, and it's not designed to to last forever. And, and I think that sometimes to women in same-sex relationships, we, we kind of hang on to that longer than than is healthy and we we get into avoiding the next the next stage of a relationship which has been referred to as differentiation and so that there's a challenge around moving into that second stage which is dealing with the tension that comes up when we when we begin discovering that our partner is different than us and and she has some some other ideas and opinions and and desires, uh, and that that can be kind of scary, right? Because when we're first falling in love, our focus is so clearly on the things that we're crazy about, and then there comes a time later where you start noticing maybe more of the things that you're not so crazy about. Yeah, and sometimes it's the same thing that the, you know the thing that that I'm so attracted to you becomes a pain in the ass later on. Um, but I think, and one of the things that I learned over the years in relationships is that we also have a choice of 
whether or not to what filter to keep and it's so easy once you start noticing annoying things to keep nitpicking annoying things and then that just becomes that just sours everything yeah and so it's a really better I I think it's it's like kind of have to have it as a habit of just focusing on the stuff you really like about the person. Yeah. Just as a, just as a practice. Yeah. Because One of otherwise... my calls that um, amplifying positives. Right? I love that. The, yeah. The other thing is about our brain is that we're, because we're wired for survival, we're always scanning for negativity. We're, we're, we have a negativity bias. We're much more likely to, to look for and remember negative negative things, negative traits, negative. Is that humans or females? Humans. That's yeah. all humans. Yeah. And so um, really making a practice of seeking out the positive things and amplifying those. You, you know, you can do that through gratitude. You can do that through like holding hands and looking at the sunset a little bit longer and remembering the most amazing sunset you saw together uh, there, there's a lot of ways of doing that, but it's super important to to shift our, our focus onto positive whatever we can. I agree. And I agree about the U-Haul. It's obviously, to, you know, it's a joke, but it's it's obviously a real thing. Um, but it is a first stage and it is the yummiest, most fun, exciting thing while it's happening. And it's interesting about the fear of differentiation when that starts to happen do you have some advice around that, around moving into that second stage? How do we know when it's the right time? What are some ways that that could be better managed by women couples that are going through it? Yeah, and I, I think that generally you want to linger in that first stage for, for a good 12 to 18 months and don't even worry about it. I think that there's just going to be some natural tension that arises when it's time to shift into more of a differentiated uh, place. And, and by differentiation, all I'm talking about is that, that willingness to, first of all, understand and discover my own feelings and thoughts and what I want and what I value and what I dream of. And then be, so discovering it, owning it, and then being willing to talk about it with my partner. So that's half of, half of the equation. The other half is when my partner's doing that, I want to show up from this place of just tremendous curiosity and, and to create a, a space for my partner to share her process and her thoughts, even if they're different than mine. And I have found that curiosity is, is the magic that makes that happen. Right. If if we're re, if I'm in the mindset of I really want to know my partner, I really want to know you, then I'm just going to dwell in this place of inquiry and curiosity, and that keeps me from being defensive and arguing and bringing up, yeah, you know, complaining over you, um, over my partner. I like that curiosity is a pathway to non-defensiveness. Hey, I think curiosity is so powerful. Yeah. And uh, underestimated, we can think we know somebody, and if we stop being curious about them, I've tried to practice recently just being more curious about my mom. Mm -hmm. Just to really try and, you know, while she's here, like be pay attention. You know, not don't just assume because she's the same mom that I've talked to every day since forever. You know, just really like 
you know, I'm so lucky she's here. So. Yeah. And the other thing I, I try to remember myself is that we're in constant motion and growth. And, you know, even if we're with somebody for years, who's to say that they haven't discovered something new about themselves or changed their mind or, you know, develops some new thought or interest. So curiosity is a lifetime friend. It's not, it's not just for the beginning of the relationship. Yeah. And it's what we would hope that someone else would give to us, that they would really be curious about what we have to say. If we really love someone the way they deserve to be honored. Yeah. Because what they say should matter, you know, if we're not going to listen to our partner, who are we listening to? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that's great. So differentiation. What are some other unique aspects of same-sex female relationships that could be challenging? Mm, let's see. One challenge is that we share friends mostly. So, you know, all of our straight friends, um, you know how they talk about having girls' night and boys' night and, you know, the, the female partners get together with their girlfriends and hang out and... So what, I mean, how do we do that? Because we usually share the same friends. And so they're, they're, that can be challenging unless you, you're intentional about creating friendships, right? In that, in that self-care streak and that desire to grow individually. So that I think. So in your experience, women don't really have separate friendships. A lot of their friendships are friendships as a couple and not in an individual one-on-one way. Yeah, that, that it takes more intentionality, I think, to create that um, in same-sex relationships. It just happens more naturally in different sex relationships. Right, because when you're hanging out as a group, it's not clear this gender on this side, that gender on that side. Okay, so then what are some ways of dealing with that? I, I think being intentional about honoring especially for the extrovert in the couple that that you're going to need some other friendships and and it's it's some of those will be people that I may not know and so um making agreements around that that protect the relationship because the relation you know our relationship needs to come first and I understand that we we may need some separate friends uh, and probably do that's an important one Two people can't be the, the everything for each other. Um, and so being intentional about it, seeking out activities that, that you don't always do together, and then, and then talking about the agreements that you're going to have that protect the relationship. Right on. Yeah. What are you thinking about that? I think friendships are super important. I love my friends. But I'm really lucky because I... I'm already older and I met my partner after already having a lifetime of a lot of amazing friendships. Uh Uh, Other people who meet their person at a much younger age where having, you know, having the kind of friendships that I have took a lifetime of forming. And so if you're still at a younger part of your life, there's a certain amount of investment that would need to go into that. Uh And and I can see why that would need to be, of course, made outside of the partnership. Uh Um, So what are some other challenges? Or tips? Um, I, I think that be, because of what we're talking about with, with the focus on uh, making sure our partner's okay and, and nurturing the relationship 
the, the emotional part of the relationship and wanting to please that that it's important to make a decision as early as you can in your relationship a mutual decision that that we honor self-care um, and that we're going to create habits in our relationship not only for things that that hold us together as a couple like date night and you know chat time every day and those sorts of things but also we're going to just set as a high priority self-care um no not not just you know taking bubble baths but but doing things that interest us individually in terms of friendship and hobbies and interests and um you know all all facets of self-care yeah i'm thinking of you know making sure you have the time alone to read or that you take the space to go to the gym or that you get the groceries so you can cook the meal. Yeah, exactly. Um, doing the things that, that keep you healthy as an individual, uh, which, which include things like going to the gym and if you have a therapist and your own friends and um, the, the things that, that delight you. You know, If you love cooking, then go Go get the amazing ingredients and, and cook up a storm. What do you think it is that prevents people from from giving themselves the self care? I think it goes back to that that the dance with differentiation. Um, that it in order to get self care, it, it requires speaking up. It requires knowing what it is I want anyway, and what will be self nurturing, uh, and also asking for it and saying this is really important to me. Uh, sometimes we fear that our partner's not going to like it. Oh, you're going to go to the gym again? Or wouldn't you rather hang out with me? Those, those sorts of things sometimes keep us from prioritizing that. Yeah. Wouldn't you rather hang out with me? Like what, you know, why are those things better than me? Um, and that would be really unfair, I guess, of a partner trying to pull that on you if you're saying I need to take care of myself in this way and the other partner saying is that more important than me unless you're never seeing your partner right in some ways that sounds a little bit like a red flag unless you're to the point where you're so selfish that every little thing you want to do is is for yourself but um right that's why I talk about striking the balance so there's a balance if it's all self-care and not enough nurturing of the partnership and the relationship then then that's a disastrous equation uh, and if it's all about the relationship and you know never mind what I what, what I'm craving alone that doesn't work out either so it's it's a balance yeah I think that's really great so deciding early on about the kind of self-care that we're going to provide and making that a habit yes yeah because I can see what you mean if you have a habit of years upon years of never taking care of yourself and then one day you decide it can seem almost, I don't know, that, that harder, harder to get started. Yeah, that, that can upset the, uh, the, the balance and, and the apple cart. Uh, and yeah, it's important to do. If, if a couple has had a long history of not including self-care, it, it's important to, to go through the challenges of creating new habits. And you know what's so interesting about people pleasing? I was thinking about this on this topic of someone that's not, that's just not doing the thing they need for themselves. Probably there's a, the, the, the part of them that's trying to do the right thing is telling themselves that they're being nice by not imposing their needs. But actually, 
it's not that they're being not nice, but by hiding what they need from their partner and not being authentic, that's sort of dishonest in some ways and create and building resentment and not showing themselves, blocking intimacy. So it's not actually that nice of a thing to do. Right. Right. And usually this may be too woo woo sounding, but usually it's a younger part that made a decision years ago to, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be nice as a way of protecting myself, but now we're grown ups and we can, we can still protect ourselves and speak up and, and speak our truth and say what we need and what we desire, what we crave. Yeah. And the, it's, you, you would, it's better to choose a partner that wants to know us authentically. That would, yeah. that would be glad we did Yeah, the kind right. of partner that would resent that we've done. So probably wasn't the best choice of a partner. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Which is, I know that's a hard thing to say to certain people if they have the belief that it's impossible to find somebody and, oh, I don't want to break up with someone because I'll be alone forever and don't want to see red flags and don't want to seriously question whether they're with the right person in the first place. But it's really important to, love can be so epic, you know? Love is epic. And and even for, for couples that have been together a long time and have gotten into this stagnant place of not speaking up, it's possible to change that. I, I help couples every week um, go from, from that place of avoiding conflict, avoiding vulnerability, and learning how to, how to really speak their truth finally and to listen to each other and from that, again, from that place of genuine curiosity and, and just transform their relationships. So it doesn't mean you have to abandon your person in order to have that. You can create that even in a long-term relationship that's, that's gone stale. I think that's so important for people to hear is that even uh, a relationship that's that's older, that's gone stale, even that can be epic and that there's a path to that. I want to hear more about that, how you can take something stagnant and make it epic and juicy. And I think that's really important for people to hear about. Yeah, it, it means, you know, putting on your superhero panties and leaning into that courage and, and bravery uh, for a minute, and and then after you do that with some repetition, then then you look forward to it, and it's not so freaking scary. What's the scary thing? Revealing oneself, <laughs> us, you know, to, talking about things that that we're afraid our partner's not going to like or agree with or understand. That fear, she, she, she's not going to like what I have to say, keeps many of us quiet. Yeah. And what if they're right? You know, like when we don't like what someone has said or when someone hasn't liked what we said, mm-hmm. um, when it's legitimate, you know, this is, this is a point of contention. What advice do you have around that? Yeah, if sometimes we discover there are deal breakers. And then what I say to that is, as far as we know, we get this one life. Let's 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 live authentically and in alignment with ourselves. That's that's our best chance at having that epic love that you're talking about. There's there's no epic love if we're if we're hiding or or being less less than. That's absolutely right. You got to show your full self and then trust that there's going to be someone that's 
totally into that. Yeah. And 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 then in that hope in that moment, I hope she's showing her full self to you, and you're totally into it too, because that's available for everyone. That's right. Do you believe that? I believe that. Do you believe that? I do believe that. I absolutely believe that. And what have you found in your years of of counseling? Have you? Because one of the things that I think is a problem for our community is because we didn't even have the right to marry and we, most people didn't feel safe to be out until recent decades. Mm-hmm. There's not, for, for straight people, they have, you know, history and literature and, and stories about how heterosexual love works and what that looks like. And there's, you know, it's, it's archetypical and we know about it. It's, it's ingrained in us. Yeah. But that certainty that that same-sex female love can work, that it makes sense, that it's real, that, you know, we don't have that proof generation after generation the way that straight people do. So do you have any words of reassurance from your practice, from what you've seen? I mean, Lesbian Couples Institute, and that's you. You're it. (laughs) So um, we get to be the proof for the generations behind us. And you're right. I mean, we're, we're not represented in the media and in the arts and in literature and in, in the history books. And so sometimes we, we have to find our models, you know, one couple at a time. Like, I think back to when I was in my early 20s and I met Karen and Jane and they were, I think, in their early 40s and they'd been together for a bunch of years and um, they were like, wow, this can really happen. And so I clung, they were like my, my lesbian couple role model. And, uh, so sometimes that's what we do. We look around for, for one or two or 10 versus the thousands that, that, uh, the heterosexual world gets, gets to have privilege to. And, and I don't know, I think we just have to, to kind of dig in, dig into to our gut and our soul and, and know that what we're doing is right. And, uh, we have we have the right to love and to have amazing love. Um, and my position is that even in relationships that have gone sideways, there's a way to get that back. There's a way to get back on on path, and more often than not, create create that even in an existing relationship. Yeah, I'm such a romantic. My parents are super in love. My grandparents were both sets of grandparents were super in love with each other. So. I totally grew up believing in love and I believe everybody can have it. And I think you're right. We're the, we're the generation that's sort of, that's going to get to show the way. And it's just, I think that in 10,000 years, lesbians of the future are going to really benefit from seeing the way the couples of the past made it work almost in an archetypical way because archetypes help. Yeah. Understanding, Oh, we're just doing that thing and understanding what those patterns are. It helps to know what we're in. Yeah. And um, I believe same-sex female love is can be as strong as any. And it's just, it's unfortunate we don't have, it's more elders to look, to look to. And it's unfortunate we don't have the resources of, you know, all of the world's literature pointing the way for us. But yeah, we can still find our way. And, and in 10,000 years, it's not going to just be lesbian couples that learn from, from us and moving forward. It's, the whole world is going to, right? We we get to be sort of the shining beacon for all couples because we do some things so well as as lesbian couples. Um, so we're not we're not just going to be there for ourselves, but for the rest of the world. 
Yeah. So it's really interesting. You 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 decided to kind of shift your business to be all um, to be pretty much exclusively focused on the lesbian community. So are you meeting couples from all over the country? How are I am. So my office is in Denver, and one one of the therapy options I have is for couples to fly in and work with me for uh, a full day or two days. And so uh, I have a couple coming from from the East Coast in two weeks to spend two days with me. I had a couple from the Boston area about three weeks ago. So that's really fun. Women come in, we roll up our sleeves and, and really do some in, immersive work together. So uh, that's one way I work with, with couples from other places. And the, and the other way is online. I have an online group coaching program for lesbian couples, which includes some training uh, in the form of videos and workbooks, and then a live two-hour coaching call once a week for 10 weeks. And and the beauty about that is that we create community. It's um, lesbian. So, so we're doing some of what you're talking about, which is let, let's be role models for one another in the absence of that in, in the larger media. Yeah, that's really, really important. It's such great stuff. Yeah. Where, where in the world were you when you came out and how old were you and like, what was that time and place like? Yeah. So, uh, I was actually at Baylor university, which is a, a, uh, Southern Baptist university, Christian university. I was as a student, I was a student. I was 19 and I, uh, I came out when I was making out with my best friend. <laughs> wow. Okay. So 19 in the Southern Baptist school. Yeah, that was great. Wow. Yeah. Having having been born in a, my parents were Southern Baptist missionaries, so I grew up in a just a very religious home that was saturated with fundamental Christian values. But did you know the whole time that you would want to be making out with your best friend one day? Oh, I I was quite surprised <laughs> and scared uh, at first how did you find out how did i i mean we just started kissing and and i was like wow did you kiss her or did she kiss you who kissed who both yeah it, it was like the longest kiss i had ever heard of and then uh, that next day i got up and called the counseling center because i didn't know if something was wrong with me um and did they try and convince you out of it oh th- thankfully the one of the psychologist there um was just this really wonderful liberal amazing human being that uh, probably wasn't even religious and uh, normalized everything that I had to share and sort of quickly educated me about what was what and so that that ended up being- how lucky are you that that's who you went to do you think your life could have gone in a different direction if the person that you walked into counseling with that day had a different probably and i did walk i walked into a pastor's office and had a really different experience with that but um the what they say uh i think what he said was god loves you but doesn't love what you're doing and so you need to cut it out uh, yeah wow okay so um that's uh a very unpleasant compared to, I mean, can you imagine if the therapist also did that? Cause this person, instead the therapist was explaining to you, 
you're having these feelings. It's totally normal and okay. Yeah. Here's what it means. Totally grateful that, uh, that I got that, that counselor. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I, even without that, it would have been a harder road to hoe, but I, you know, I am who I am, but that I'm really grateful for that. But I live. Yeah. And for anyone out there that does counseling like this and wonders if their lives are making a difference, holy cow, (laughs) you matter. Wow. That's really cool story. And so then did your family react well? So I I was a a serial comer outer. Uh, that's not even a word. It it took me years to come out to all of my family. I I you know I did it uh, a piecemeal few here and there. Um, yeah. It it took me a long time to to finally come out, but I'm out now completely, and I'm on on uh, the world wide web in a very out way, and with my mission to help other women and in, in yeah in my shoes as well. No, and you are. It's such it's such great work that you're doing and um, I'm so grateful that you're sharing here and it also obviously means that you can be way more empathetic to those that are struggling with the coming out process for me it was a little bit easier the coming out stuff so because I had like I came from pretty you know liberal northeast um, town no one really actually cared it wasn't super easy for my parents or anything, but nobody actually in my community ever judged it. Mm-hmm. It's so much different for people living in the South. And it's cool that you can both be on the other side of it and then still be helping people who are getting through it. So Yeah. Yeah, I have, I have uh, deep empathy. So is there anything I could have asked you that I haven't yet? I think you've asked amazing questions and, and we've covered everything that, that I can think of. All right. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. If there comes a point in the future and you think of more things that you want to share, let me know. We can hop on another podcast and record another episode. I'm really grateful uh, that you took the time. So for anyone listening, where can they go to find more about the work that you're doing um, and the courses you offer? And Yeah, the best place is my website. It's lesbiancouplesinstitute.com. And uh, just tool around the the website there there's a place to reach out there's a contact form if you want to reach out um, just fill that out and I'll get back with anyone that wants some you know to have a conversation awesome well thank you so much Linda um, I really enjoyed this conversation I enjoyed it too thanks thanks for what you're doing it means a lot oh, pleasure to meet you and now I would love to hear from you We covered a whole lot of things in this episode, but I'm curious, what of the many things we talked about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then there are tons of free resources for you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. 
And when you claim your free access to any of those things, you automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to finding your soulmate faster and easier, and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally do meet. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that you think can benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women. 